0: It's good to be with you uh, this morning, uh, church, as we uh, come and gather uh, together today, as we continue our series this morning, um, as we've been looking at uh, the ways in which God is calling us to be um, God's resurrection um, people. I've been going through a kind of a cycle, or a pattern in my life where I've been trying to, to push off the powers of Facebook. Have you ever been there? Have you, you been in that place? right? I watched a video, and, and I've watched many of these videos, usually I just ignore um, videos about the effects of social media on my life. I I did a big project in seminary that scared me to my core, um, but I kind of Suppressed that and just went on with normal life. But I watched one a a while ago that talked about the ways in which um, that Facebook was was like dropping like dopamine in my brain, and I was searching for the next um, fix of 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 just uh, kind of searching like a treasure hunt, like a slot machine, so to speak. But it wasn't in Vegas; it was in my pocket, and so that scared me. So I I kind of like push it off, but I go there every once in a while. And the other day, I found this like weird urge to go and to look back at this Facebook page that I liked um, a couple months ago that I started following, and I realized that I'm weird, right? It was a weird thing, and I kind of had this realization. Um, but this page was called um, Lineman Lunch, and it was a page dedicated to um, the, 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 the study and the, and the, the implementation of, of uh, technique for offensive linemen. How many of you like the page Lineman Lunch? That's what I thought, right? <laughs> Maybe one. <laughs> right? Like, it's just weird. It's it's something that, that uh, I like and I, I enjoy. And, I, and I've got back into this coaching thing. And so it's, it's back. But I, I found myself thinking um, uh, about this lineman uh, thing in football. Some of you don't even know what linemen are. And so we'll, we'll continue. I think I've got a picture. Uh, the linemen, the offensive linemen are the guys with the ball. And that would be the Chiefs. Um, and the Chiefs are going to beat all your teams this year, so prepare your hearts. But uh, yes, especially the Broncos and the Patriots and the Raiders and the, the Steelers and continue, right? But the, the offensive linemen are the, the the big guys, right? That's it. That's what I played when when I played ball, and and then that's just what what I did. But um, getting back into the coaching thing, there's been some uh, some reminders that not everybody else loves offensive line like I do. I think that their participation uh, in the game of football is fascinating, uh, and it's pretty incredible. Um, but I've been on teams when I was younger um, where uh, if you were the kid was placed in the role of offensive lineman and they like literally hated it like they would cry or they would quit the team because it's not that fun, right? I was just a I was a husky kid, and that's putting it lightly. But I knew that nobody's going to give me the ball, right? So this is what I was going to do, and I was cool with that. And that's just what what happened. But but I, I've watched as as if people don't like to play offensive linemen, they want to be the quarterback or the running back or something special, right? Uh, they'd rather not because there's no no glory and there's no touchdowns, and no touchdowns needs no recognition and no recognition means no girls and no girls means that it's no fun, right? (laughs) And so they don't, they cry. And they don't want to, want to participate um, in, in this life. And so I've watched people cope with this in, in different ways. On lower levels, like flag football, in middle school, and high school, but also on, on, on upper levels as well. In college, as they, they receive scholarships, and they get into it, they just don't like it. And, and one of the ways they, they, they cope with it is they kind of just put their head down, right? And they, and they do, like the, do what they can when coach is watching. Right? Like they, they, they may play hard at the end of the game when, when things are on the line and they're into it, but, but for the most part, they, they, they give the effort or they participate the most when the coach is, has got the eye on them, right? Or, or there's other ways that, that, that people um, uh, cope is, is they, would, they, would, they would only turn it on when they knew that they could get some recognition out of it, right? When the ball was going to their side, you better believe they blocked nicely. Right, but other than that, they, they, they didn't. It was, it was a way to, to cope, but and then there was the weird ones that was me that, that, that just threw themselves into it because they knew that they weren't good enough to play anything else, right. But as you um, follow groups like Lineman Lunch, and as you, you, you play in the game, you realize that offensive linemen have an incredible role to play in the game of football. And it's not just like 300-pound beasts like slamming their heads against each other. But in reality, it's kind of like this like choreographed dance of 300-pound ballerinas right like here's a i think there's a picture there right everything is is calculated everything is is in motion and you you start to, to, to live with these five guys and, and you get to the point where you can communicate with like the click of your tongue or with a, with a look in each other's eyes where you know where, where where you're going and you flow together and you're you're in this life together there's some improvisation right there where, where there's some improv that's involved in that and, and there's just this natural flow of life and play that happens happens and every team and all these guys that I've ever won shiny rings with they all had one thing in common they were all in right they were they were into it they wanted to be there they were they, they were they were excited to be there they they, they were together in these things we have conflicts Did people drop the ball absolutely but they we knew that, that, that the brother standing next to me was ready to play with me so the outside looking in, it's chaos and it's violence and it's meatheads that bang heads the whole game. And then they slow, slowly jog up and down the field. We call that the lineman shuffle. And it's like there's like mall walking up and down the field. But in reality, it's this beautiful thing of, of cohesion where they, they work together. And so here's the transition if you ate football. Cool, you're all right, right? That right? You're tired about talking about football. I've spent many years being a pastor, um, walking alongside of you and, and others as well, um, where it seems as if that, that we, we walk in this life in the church and we don't really know what's going on. And, and, and we don't really know what's happening and we don't really know our place. And I've seen those different coping mechanisms as well. Some that that, that put their head down and just keep coming, but they come at a distance. I've been in that place too. Or some that, that, uh, that kind of uh, see and focus on the, 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 the church conflict or the arguments or, or the things that in communication that break down. And, and then we focus with laser focus on that. And so the coping mechanism is to just not come and to separate and to, and to leave because we feel as if nothing will get better. I've been in that place as well. And then there are others that jump in with both feet, that are ready and willing to to do whatever it is that that they're asked to do in this place. And so we ask the question, what does it mean to be resurrection people as the body of Christ in this world that is focused on death, as Pastor Stephanie led us in last week? And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 2 as we walk through the the book of Ephesians uh, together, Ephesians chapter 2. 2, starting in verse 11 this morning, as we uh, ask this question, um, what's it mean to be people of the resurrection, to live resurrection lives here and now? Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. If you know your Bibles, to will be on the screen, but church, hear the word of the Lord this morning. It says, therefore, remember that formerly, you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by the body and by hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came to preach peace and preach peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by the Spirit. So consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. Now we won't uh, get into um, uh, circumcision because that's just awkward and painful, right? This morning, um, but remember that's a uh, that's a marker of the of God, people of God, the uh, people of God, the the sign of that. But um, we we come into this this verse uh, in this in this pericope, this passage um, with the, the words and the call um, to remember. Right? Some of us like to remember, that's why we have scrapbooks hanging out in our houses, right? We, we like to remember, but we like to remember mostly the good stuff, right? We don't like to remember the the, the, the bad stuff or the hard stuff or the, the, the downs in life. We like to remember uh, the good stuff. But here Paul is calling the people and calling us today to r- remember. Remember not the good times you had in high school, but remember... How you were separated from Christ. Remember how you were a foreigner, an alien, without hope, and without God in this crazy world. Like Debbie Downer all through that, right? Uh, The the, the call to remember not the good stuff, but to remember the hard stuff, the separation. and, And we could share those stories for hours, I'm sure stories of struggle where where we were we were separated stories of uh, of waywardness where we, we we chose our own way and, and we found ourselves in places without hope Every time I'm called to remember my past, I think of a, a, a specific psalm, Psalm 107. It comes to my mind again and again because it kind of, it kind of uh, illustrates this in a, in a very visual way. But it says this, 107, verse 2-7, through seven, Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those He redeemed from the hand of the foe, those He gathered from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. Some wandered in desert wastelands finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Right? Call, Paul is, is calling um, these people, and even us this morning, to take a pause in the middle of our busy lives, in the middle of our moving forward, in the middle of our, our going about our everyday stuff, and, and to stop, to pause, to remember where we've been. To remember and to look back at those moments where we were separated. And, and so this week has been a, a week of remembering um, for me. But it hasn't been like a I I think a couple times in, in my life, I just a couple. I, I get in the memory lane, and I and I have like that that feeling of of regret, and and I and I live through those situations again and again. But as we continue to to, to grow in Christ, as we continue to re- forgive every time we remember, as we continue to move um, forward in God's grace, I think at, at a time it turns from. Rem- Remembering and living to remembering and then looking where we are now, right? Have you ever done that? Like, I'm going to stop and pause and to remember where I was and think about and remember, by God's grace, how I've, I've come to this place. And when we, when we do that, which we don't often do, usually we're, we're hard on ourselves. And maybe we have some, some negative self-talk where we don't feel like we've, we've come a long way because we're just living the everyday, ordinary, day-to-day life. But if we stop to pause to remember where we were, we might actually understand that the only way I could get from there to here is Jesus. The only way I could get from that place to this place is is Jesus. That's the only explanation. And so Paul invites us to go on this this journey. Remember where you were and look at where you are now. He's talking to the Gentile uh, people. And and Paul's method in in this section of Scripture is brilliant. He highlights the old, the new, and the breaking in. Paul calls the people of God to look back and remember where life was before Jesus, the old. He calls them to look at what Jesus has done, the new, where they are now. And then he shapes their imagination to move forward in in God's grace. To move forward into the breaking end of the the kingdom of God. The old, the new, the breaking in. The the old is, is, is not the funnest thing to think about. But we think about the separation of of the Jewish people, the the people of God, versus the Gentile people, which is everybody else, by the way. You are Gentile unless you are Jewish. Congratulations. right? There's great separation. So I want to look at this passage in in, in different perspectives and different ways. And so the first one and the first perspective is to to look at it as if you were um, one of the first disciples of Christ. So you were a Jewish person. You were one of the first disciples of Christ, and you're, you're following Jesus. You, you're, you, you grew up Jewish. You've grown up serving Yahweh. You've been shaped by your people. You know the story of the people of God. You know God's, God's faithfulness. You're now into this, uh, in this way of Jesus, and you have this history. You know how it's been since all the way back in the day with Father Abraham, the one with many sons, right? That you are part of God's chosen people and everyone else is not. And now you follow Jesus and you're introduced to this idea down the line that that you're now supposed to bring in the outsider, you're supposed to invite in the outsider as if they were, were, were the same, the, the, the Gentiles, as if they were uh, Jewish, as if, they, if there was no separating thing, but the, the dividing line runs deep. This isn't just like a, like a, like a cross-town rivalry. Like this is, this is deep. This is ingrained into the, into the people uh, of God. It's hard to imagine what it meant to these Jewish uh, followers. The the, the the first century Jews have developed um, a pretty significant swagger, right? Like we are the people of God, and you are not. We are the people of God, chosen. We are this this tiny uh, nation. We've been we've been chosen by God. Then God reveals Himself to, to to us. We are set apart for service. And over the years and through the generation, the the, the developed this kind of. This view of their calling. Nobody is like them, and maybe nobody is as special as them. That we've got God on our side, and, and you Gentile, you do not. It's almost like the story of the, of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, and, and he's praying, and the Pharisee announces for everyone to hear, by the way, thank God that I am not like them. Right, Thank God that I'm not like them. Thank God that I'm a part of, of the A-team. Thank God that, that, that I have been, been chosen. And so this, 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 this pattern, this way of life, it runs deep. It's, it's a part of, of who these people are and, and how they've been taught and, and shaped. That there's a clear and strong separation from the Jewish people and, and the Gentiles. There's a theologian, uh, William Barclay, um, wrote extensively about this, but he talks about the the, the immense contempt or hatred for the Gentile. It was even uh, unlawful for a Jewish person to help a Gentile mother that was in labor, because that would just be helping bring in another Gentile into the world, Right? And in fact, if you were a Jewish person and you married a Gentile person, then not only are you going to have your wedding, but your family is going to have your funeral, a Jewish funeral, because that's how, how significant it was. So, you know, Sally, if you go on with that, we're going to have your funeral tomorrow too, right? It's a, it's a deep separation. It's a deep boundary. It's a, it's a big, big wall to overcome. But let's flip it a little bit. Now, imagine that you're the Gentile, which you are. Congratulations again. Right? You're a Gentile, and you, you hear the stories of, of this Jesus, the Savior of the world, and you even hear about the ways in which uh, the, 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 your fellow Gentiles are, are coming to know this Jesus and this story of Jesus, and, and you're, you're there. But we, we flip it. We, we understand that, that this, is, this is coming from Jewish people, and, and these people already have something that they don't like about us as Gentiles. They think that we're, they're better than us, and that they have something that we don't have. And so we already have some relational issues there, right? We already have a, a problem. But you hear about this Jesus. And so you want to you wanna know more about the, uh, Jesus and God and you want to know more about Yahweh and you want to come to the temple and sacrifice and serve God and, and you believe so much that you show up to the temple and you show up to the nearest one that was next to you that you found on Google Maps and it was Herod's temple, Right? And you, 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 you gather your family together and you're going to go show up to Aaron's temple and you, um, you, you, you can't find anywhere the dress code on the website. It's just not on there. And so you just come as you are, right? And you, you know that service starts at 10. And so 945, you, you get to the temple and you get all the kids out of the car and you start to walk in to the temple. And you notice there are lots of people that are walking towards what seems like um, a big gate, a beautiful gate, a gate that, that they're, they're going in um, and out of, and so you bring the family along, and you're walking towards that gate. This is huge, right? This is bigger than Disneyland parking lot, right? And so you're walking um, towards the gate, and as you get closer, there's kind of a, another barrier, but as you get closer, you see um, this sign, and this sign is, is written so that you can read it. Right? And this sign um, says uh, something that you just weren't expecting on your first day at the temple. It says this No foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure round the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. You excited about church anymore? <laughs> Right, not, not trespassers will be prosecuted right? none of that business not trespassers will be prosecuted but trespassers will die so when Paul refers to this dividing wall of hostility there's some hostility not like oh you don't like me and my feelings are hurt like real hostility like if you cross this line you will, will no longer be in this earth And so here you are and you're you're, you're in this place and you recognize that that you can come close enough to see, but you you can't come in and you'll never enter it with that sign posted and that you can never be a part of the full worship of God. In in other words, you can never enter into the full benefits uh, to be a part of God's people. In fact, you even have your own Gentile courtyard. You could go there, but you can't. Go in fully. You are far off. You are people without hope and without God in this world. This remembering is full of walls and blocks and and barriers that are set up on both sides of the fence. Uh, whether you were Jew or whether you were a Gentile, it, it, this is a, this is a, a play where there's, there's physical walls meant to keep the riffraff out, as well as walls created in the heart and, and in the mind, things that, that you seem like you can't move forward and you can't separate and you can't get past. You can't see forward. You ever been there? So you don't see the way forward in this place. There's walls everywhere, but here's the good news the new, the work of Jesus, the good news, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. The distance, the separation, the walls were all too much to break down. And the dividing wall of hostility, that God's intervention, God's movement, God's sacrifice is needed. God's saving action through Christ is the only solution. God's saving action in Christ is the only solution. Not only is there a wall between God and us, and that's torn down, but there's a wall between the, the people, people of God and those who are not, the, the Gentiles. But now we are united in Christ, and Christ has done all this so that we, he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. But here we continue to move on as, as Paul shapes the imagination. Because of God's action, restoration happens. So verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and also were members of his household. You're no longer foreigners. You're no longer the stranger from around the corner. You you are now in relationship with Jesus, but not just with Jesus. This is not a just Jesus and you thing where you get to float off wherever you want to go on vacation. Right? This is a this is a Jesus and us thing. There's there's hostility that's been broken down and, and now we have relationship and opportunity for relationship that the kingdom of God and the work of Christ gathers citizens of this kingdom. That we're no longer aliens or strangers or even visitors, but we're citizens of the kingdom of God right here and right now when we follow Jesus. That we can go in, right? We've got full privileges of God's people, but it gets even bigger and better than that, that now you're not just citizens but you're members of God's household. You're not just a part of the kingdom. You're not just like a part of the, of the, the social construct, but you are children of the king. That's a pretty big step up, right? You're not just a, a, a one that stands off the side, but you are welcomed members into the kingdom and to the household of God. It means in the context of the passage that we are now brothers and sisters of Christ. You ever been to a church where they call you brother, whatever? Sister, whatever? I think that's pretty cool. Brother Tom, right? That's weird. Right? But this reality. You're you're, you're my brother, you're my my sister, we are are in this together because we have been brought into the the kingdom and brought into the family through through Christ's sacrifice for us. the, The barriers have been broken down. So what's this mean for us? As the people of God, what does this mean for us as we as we walk forward in this life, and as we are called to be resurrection people in a land of death? What's this? What what's the, our our reality when we, we deal with passages like this? This is the the so what, right? So so what does this matter in, in our lives and in, in our in our gathering together as well? Here's the reality, friends. That we are great at building walls of separation. You and I are pretty good at building walls of separation. If if you look at me funny, wall. Right? If you if I hear you talk about me, wall. Stay away. If you uh, if you confront me on something that I don't want you to confront me on, wall. If I think you're crazy, wall. I don't like the way you look, wall. Right? You name it. You, you didn't like my picture on Facebook, wall. Right? We, we, we do this um, all the time. We've been conditioned in the place in which we live, in the pattern of, uh, of our world, that we are people that, that are pretty good at building walls. But yet yeah, here we read a passage that's all about not building walls, but it's all about Jesus tearing walls down again and again and again. So to be these resurrection people that we're called to, to live this resurrection life, to follow Jesus with our whole heart, to, to, to be open to God's movement, is this the breaking this pattern of me going around and building walls to everything that I don't like. Only so that six months later, Jesus can come along and tear it down, right? You ever had that pattern in life? I just built that wall, Jesus. I like that wall, right? That wall allowed me to push that away so I didn't have to think about it. That was a pretty good wall, I thought. But no, I want you to, to tear it down. But not only tear it down, I want you to cross the line. That's where I usually am. So then I try to build a little wall and it's kind of out of view. It's a reminder again, no, I want you, I'm going to tear that wall down and I want you to step over that wall and pass that wall and, and make things right. Resurrection people in, the, in a world that is so conditioned to focus on death. You don't like me and so I'm not going to like you. You said that about me and so I'm going to say that about you. I'm good at, at building the walls, but if we're following Jesus, we'll notice the pattern that, that will hopefully eventually stop or be even become less. Where I'm stopping building the wall and, and watching Jesus tear it down a couple months later. What's it mean to be resurrection people in a world that says um, we're going to create distance from everybody else? But don't get too close. Like stay out in my business, right? You stay over there, and I'll stay over here, and it, and it's cool. I, and I am, and, and this is a pastoral confession. I'm bad at this, right? Because I, I, I'm just, I just am. Like that, that the life that I grew up in, and the ways in which I was shaped in that way are still being redeemed right? They're still, being, they're still being drawn out of me, and the more I say yes, the, the more that those disappear, but, but also that, that survival instinct of getting away from you before you can hurt me is still there. But I noticed that the more I create separation, the more that Jesus closes the gap. If I'm really open, right, and there are times that I'm not, and there are times that I am, and you're the same way if we're going to be honest with it. If I'm really open, the more that I create separation, the more that Jesus calls me, invites me, and leads me to close the gap. I want to separate, but, but again, Jesus is calling me to live that cruciform life where I have this posture of Christ's posture. Where I'm not like this. And I'm not sitting at home watching the hoarder's TV show all day or zombie prepper show. But now I'm, I'm, I'm being shaped like this. And sometimes it looks a little bit like this. What's it mean to be resurrection people when, when there's disagreements? There's arguments within the church and there's, there, there's power struggles and, and there are, are these things that conflict resolution is a, is a resurrection practice that we don't practice in the world as good. And sometimes we don't practice even in the church as good. And we're called to be the resurrection people of God. We build walls; Jesus tears them down. We create distance, and Jesus closes the the, the gap. Christ is the one who breaks down walls. Two, verse fourteen, reconciling persons of all kinds, and none are strangers and aliens. Verse nineteen. It's a sad fact that even though the world is shrinking and we have the the best possibility of communication like never before, the world is also fragmenting in in little subgroups and different groups and and camps, and yet the church is called to be united, not just in your favorite sports team. You should all love the Chiefs, but be united in Jesus, in the stuff that really matters, And the God that really matters is the one who who sacrificed for us. That rather being separated, we are to be united the, the resurrection life way. We are invited to be resurrection people who don't lean into the narrative of divisiveness or broken relationships. Yet we are the people of Jesus who lean into the narrative of restoration and reconciliation. We are the people of Jesus that lean into restored relationship, even when it's hard. We are the restoration people, the resurrection people, who lean in to extending forgiveness. Because we know how much forgiveness has been extended to us. We are resurrection people who live this resurrection life. Not just on a global scale as the church, but on a local scale in this town. We are family and no one is to be treated as stranger or or alien. And difference in race and class and gender and economic conditions and politics and opinions. They exist, but they are not barriers to living in unity with Christ because that's all that matters. We are to be the taste test of the kingdom of God. Remember that illustration for Pastor Stephanie? The Baskin-Robbins spoon? The taste test. You are to be little taste test of resurrection life for this world that is focused on death. As we come to finish in worship and and to invite the band forward this morning, know that different personalities approach different things. And some of us this morning, um, we're, we're ready to do, right? We recognize that we all are, are in this in different patterns and places. So some of us have our head down and we just keep coming even though we come at a distance. Or some of us have kind of found our own little place to serve and our own people to engage with, but that's where we want to stay. And then others of us, we want to throw ourselves into more, but we must recognize that it's in Jesus that these things come about. It's not because you have a greater effort. Effort is involved. Action is involved. Saying yes is involved, but Jesus Christ the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the last part of our passage it says that it is building us. It is building us, calling us, enabling us to be resurrection people here and now in this world that is focused on death. So may it be so among us as we seek to follow him with all of our hearts. Let's sing and worship this morning. Would you stand with us this morning? Uh, Lord, we have heard a good word today, um, a challenge, a call to be your resurrection people, not just through moral living, but Lord, through reconciled living with one another. And so I ask that if there are dividing walls in our hearts, Lord, that you would illuminate them and you would make us real uncomfortable until we're ready to face those. Because, Lord, the greatest way in which we can be a witness to your resurrection is by living in reconciliation and redemptive relationships with one another. So will you help us embody that as a body of believers and recognize that we are not alone, that we are walking together, hand in hand with one another, following after you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please extend your hands to receive the benediction, the blessing uh, as you go from this place. Beloved people of God, may you go and live resurrection lives. Where you've built walls, may Jesus tear them down. Where you've created distance, may Jesus close the gap. Go in action and go in peace. You are dismissed.